This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Global Markets Perspective podcast for South Africa. My name is Kondi Ngosi, country head for Schroders here in South Africa. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Tom Walker, co-head of Global Listed Real Assets and co-portfolio manager of our Section 65 approved Global Cities Real Estate Fund. Tom, always good talking to you. Thanks, Condi. Thanks for having me. We'll spend the next 20 to 25 minutes or so discussing market developments within the listed property space. Tom, as a start, it's been a pretty tough period for the REITs market of late. The one-year performance of the FTSE EPRA now REIT to June this year was down something like 5%. The one-year to June 22 numbers was over 13% down. Inflation and interest rates clearly have been the main story. We've also seen fault lines in the banking sector and concerns are abound regarding the risks of a recession. What's your reading of the current state of affairs? Yeah, thanks, Connie, for cheering me up so much. I mean, it's just been it's been so much fun for me in the real estate sector recently. Um, and I was just beginning to think there's light at the end of the tunnel and you've taken me back to a dark place. Um, but yeah, no, so yeah, the, the real estate sector has been the sector that everyone has loved to hate over the last 12. And I'd even go, you know, kind of beyond 12 months, sort of 15 months, really since probably about February, March 2022. Um, and we are um, you know, really kind of the victims here of a, of a huge macro focus by the market, worried about interest rates and inflation. And what we've seen as interest rates have increased so much is that the value of those income streams has been downgraded. And really, when I think about sentiment in this space today, I compare it to the feeling I had when I was working in the sector just, you know, at and post the financial crisis. I've not seen the sector kind of you know, hated so much, if you like, so unloved. Um, and I thought at the end of 2022, we were getting to the end of that kind of repricing that pain trade, if you like. And then we started to see headlines about, you know, regional banks collapsing over in the States with Silicon Valley Bank and concerns about real estate loans. Um, and so that has sort of, again, fueled the fire again. But as we sit here today in August, and I don't want to, to tempt fate, but it does feel that the banking crisis, if you like, if you could call it that, is behind us because they've really realized that real estate is not going to be bringing down banks. And there is light at the end of the tunnel in the sense of it feels like we are very close to the end of the rate hiking cycle, which means that investors can then value those income streams with far more confidence. And then we'll start to see that come into the sector as people realize that the fundamentals in real estate are actually quite strong at the moment. Tom, you used the word sentiment just now in your explanation. I mean, clearly we've seen what's been happening with the prices of these, of these REITs, given that they're listed entities. Regarding the actual underlying performance of, the, of, of these companies, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think this is where, um, you know, if I go back to those headlines we saw in March about kind of worries about the banking crisis and, you know, real estate loans, et cetera. And I remember saying I was actually talking to you, Condi, calling it kind of lazy journalism because that what, what journalists were doing were looking back at the financial crisis. They saw real estate brought down kind of banks and economies then and thought that the same would happen. But actually, when you look at the fundamentals in the real estate market today, 
it's very, very different to what we saw in the financial crisis. There's very low levels of supply. There is robust demand. The only subsector where there are problems is offices. Everything else is doing very well. We've got high occupancy rates. And I was talking to one of the CEOs we know very well, very experienced. He's been in the sector for over three decades. And he said that in terms of his whole career, he's never seen such extreme difference in sentiments between you know the listed markets that is obviously pricing very negatively and then the operational markets you know that his tenants his customers in terms of them leasing leasing space and how strong that is so as a real estate investor we get great confidence from knowing that those fundamentals are very strong today and that's what gives us huge confidence as we think out over the next 12 to 15 months or so for for our sector and, and for the global cities fund and what do balance sheets look like? So, I mean, you've spoken about, you know, low vacancy rates, operating performance looking relatively good. What what do the balance sheets look like? Well, how much financial risk exists in these companies? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, again, you know, just referencing back to the financial crisis here, when we went into that crisis, balance sheets were incredibly stretched. Banks had lent a huge amount to the, to the real estate sector. So the average listed REIT was probably heading into that crisis with around 45% loan to values in terms of sort of debt on their balance sheets. As we sit here today, I'd say the sector average is probably about 35%. So the real estate sector has definitely learned its lessons in a very painful way from the financial crisis. But we sit here today with companies which are actually all pretty well managed. Now, Balance sheet strength is something that we look for in a lot of detail when we're analyzing companies. And our portfolio is actually probably closer to just sub 30% in terms of the average loan to value. So we feel very you know, comforted by that strength in the balance sheet. Having said that, it's still undeniable that clearly companies that might have had average you know, debt costs of maybe it's two and a half, maybe 3%, that is going to increase over time. And we're seeing you know, maybe average cost of debt moving to sort of four and a half, maybe 5%, depending on what country you're in. That's going to have an impact on earnings. And so again, we need to ensure that we're positioned in companies that are in sectors where their earnings can grow faster then that cost of debt is increasing because that is going to be a real issue for a number of participants in the real estate market. I don't think so much in the listed space because I think generally balance sheets are strong, but there will definitely be operators out there and we're reading about it in the papers that have too much leverage. And when they refinance that rate, it's going to be very painful for them. Thanks, Tom. So before we st- speak about sector-specific uh, issues, uh, just just to kind of circle back. So you've got on the one hand prices that are that are one can argue overdone. On the other hand, you've got this really really strong performance, at least in in certain segments that you guys you guys are looking at. So there's clearly some sort of a, a gap that exists between the valuations of the of the underlying assets themselves as well as the REIT share prices. Maybe a two-part question. What do you think will lead to the closing of this valuation gap? You've alluded to sort of rate hiking cycles almost plateauing, so that could be one. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit for our listeners. And then secondly, would you say this is an interesting entry point for investors looking at REITs? Yeah, so you know, if, if we just talk about the valuation gap that exists today, as you say, we have got, if you like, the net asset values, the intrinsic worth of companies, let's say they're trading at 100, and then the market's pricing that at roughly kind of 75%. So it's a significant valuation gap. In, in my opinion, it's very, very clear what will close this gap. It will be commentary from the central banks. 
you know, over the last 12, 15 months, the market has been 100% macro focused inflation interest rates. That is going to be what will drive the, the, the closing of that valuation gap. Now, the commentary coming out of the US Federal Reserve uh, and some other central banks indicates that we're closer to that. So I would be expecting the next two to three months, you know, potential closing of that gap based on the fact that inflation is seems to be coming under control and the rate hiking cycle is is coming to an end so that is very much the catalyst in terms of the number one catalyst i think there is another catalyst that's going to be out there as well once we get that stabilization in funding costs you and, and, and you see companies trading at big discounts that is going to attract private equity players so you might start to see some m a you might start to see some privatizations but again we just need that stability in funding costs for the private equity houses to then work out how much their debt is going to cost and then we might start to see a bit of m a action but i think the moment we get a sniff of that the gap will close quite quickly so i think that it will probably happen quite quickly when it does whether it's central banks or you know the private equity guys coming in so taking the the second part of your question which was um looking at sort of an entry point Look, we've been, you know, running the Global Cities Fund for nine years now. We've got a lot of data in terms of valuation, how the sector looks today versus other points in time. And when we look at the upside we see in our portfolio, and I'd stress it's a theoretical number, but we're looking at the upside of all of those holdings in our portfolio versus where they're trading today in the market and where we believe that NAV should be. And we see one of the highest discounts or one of the highest upsides that should be realized over the next 12 to 15 months than at almost any point in the last nine years. And I think that goes back to, you know, the question you asked earlier about sentiment. Sentiment is really, really weak. You know, we are a sector that people just, they don't really want to talk about, they don't really want to look at. And as a consequence, that valuation discount, we think is at a pretty extreme level. So I think once that, that catalyst, once that macro calms down, I think things could move quite quickly. So for a contrarian investor, someone who's interested, I think that now could be a very interesting entry point because you, you're, you're kind of almost investing at that maximum point of pessimism, which is always you know, a, a good point to, to look at things. Tom, I want us to now switch to the sector level commentary regarding REITs. Um, again, looking at data to the end of June, 2023 we we've we've seen quite quite a wide divergence in performance at the sector level it's not all been bad across all sectors so if you look for example at the data centers they've had a strong run year to date up something like 20% to the end of june whilst at the other end of the spectrum office and infrastructure were particularly challenged you've alluded to the challenges in office already tom uh, office i think was down in the in the region of of 12% Maybe just some general commentary around around the, the relative sector performance and and perhaps to close out that thought, what are the sectors that you particularly like? Yeah, so in terms of the sectors that we really like, um, you know, it, it's a very very kind of consistent story that we've been you know speaking to clients about you know for for almost nine years now. We really like the niche subsectors in cities where it's hard to create supply, and so you know things like data centers, last mile logistics, residential, self storage are sectors that we've always been attracted to. They continue to generate the strongest earnings growth, um, and and that's something that we you know we're very excited about. Um, I think that when we look over the last twelve months, as you referenced, I mean data centers have been very strong. Wrong. I mean, that was really data centers have really been boosted by by two things. Firstly, 
the inflationary increases that we've seen you know over the last few years has led to a dramatic reduction in supply of new stock of real estate and this really is any sector that you look at not just data centers and so what that means is that when you have strong demand and there isn't much supply you've got pricing power and because data centers there's been very low levels of supply over the last few years and you've just got increasing data usage, data storage. You've got ChatGPT and AI now coming into the market, driving another wave of data creation and data analysis. The demand for data centers has been very strong. And so we're seeing for the first time in you know, a number of years, really strong rental growth and confident outlook statements from management teams from data centers. We're also con continuing to see that same theme in last mile logistics, you know, third party logistics, you know, suppliers, um, you know, four hour Amazon Prime delivery or same day grocery shopping. That's all driving demand for distribution warehouses close to the point of consumption. Now, the point of consumption is big cities. So, again, if you are a company that owns last, last mile logistics assets in and around a city, you're seeing rents grow very strongly. So, you know, we like data centers. We like the logistics sector. And then residential, again, think about where the opportunities are, the jobs are, where, you know, the young professionals have to go and live because it's where the jobs are. They need to rent an apartment. They can't afford to buy. So we're seeing really resilient and strong demand for apartments across a lot of the U.S. cities that we're invested in, as well as across Europe. And actually, if you look at U.S. CPI um, and look at what one of the stickiest components of it has been recently, and that's shelter. And that is really just looking at the rents people you know, are being asked to pay on, on residential units. So we continue to like these niche subsectors. I'd also add self-storage in there. Uh, and then, as you say, office has been clearly one of the weakest. And we all know why working from home is you know, really kind of eating away. And really, I kind of think there's a lot of similarity in terms of where office is today versus where retail was 10, 15 years ago with the beginning of that Amazon kind of, you know, destruction in terms of value, you know, people not needing as many physical stores moving online. And really, we're seeing that happen to the office market at the moment. I would also just add as my last point, in terms of that Amazon disruption we've seen in retail, we broadly think that's come to an end. So we're now seeing a lot more confidence from uh, companies that own shopping centers in our portfolio. We've even added some this year, the first time in about nine years that we've added shopping centers to the portfolio because we think that disruption has stopped. We think there is now you know, a good balance between demand and supply and, and some good negotiations for landlords in terms of rent reviews. So yeah, those are sort of how we see the sectors at the moment. Tom, I know that you and the team have an approach of neutralizing regional and country-specific exposures uh, relative to benchmark. However, I have to ask the question, are there any specific regions or countries that you're, you're worried about? I mean, we're obviously seeing the China-US issues. Um, we've seen headlines come out today, in fact, regarding the US potentially banning uh, US companies investing into Chinese tech companies. Do, does this impact you guys in any way? How do you guys read that? Yeah, I mean, look, we, the, there are always concerns that we have wherever we are, you know, even sort of, you know, obviously in, in Europe, we've got kind of issues with, you know, Ukraine and Russia. Uh, in the US, there's always kind of political risk. We've got an election coming up, um, you know, various states, you know, will be having, um, you know, ideas on particular legislation that might impact subsectors. So there's there's worries sort of wherever we look. But in terms of, I think, kind of the, the key worries, I think certainly in terms of the US-China issues, that's definitely impacted our 
optimism on China. You know, if you go back to conversations we were having three or four years ago, we were really pretty bullish on China. If you think about it from an urbanization point of view, really strong cities growing, a lot of wealth being created. So we were really looking to try and increase our exposure to China. But today, from a geopolitical risk perspective, we're just not comfortable doing that. So, you know, we're not in that market now. I think there have to be some questions asked about what it does to Hong Kong. So again, we're looking at that now. I think just sticking in Asia and, and moving away from geopolitical risks and from kind of a, a macro risk perspective, if you like, I think Japan's interesting because it's still one of the only countries where you've kind of almost got kind of, you know, zero interest rates. And, and, and our question is, is really how long can that persist as inflation continues to increase in that country? And if interest rates do increase dramatically in Japan, well, we've seen what it does to real estate values in the US and Europe last year. And so we know what will happen in Japan. So we're being very cautious in terms of our approach to Japan. And we're watching that very carefully. Tom, as we draw the podcast to a close, uh, I always ask guests on the podcast their final two or three key points that they would like our listeners to take away from the discussions. What would those be for you? Yeah, I think that for, for me, the first key point is that all of the trends that we see in the real estate market, whether it's urbanization, whether it's digitization, whether it's kind of last mile logistics, all of these trends are becoming stronger. And so when you take a step back and just think about, you know, the trends that we're trying to invest alongside, they're all, you know, more relevant today than they were two or three years ago. But in that time over the last two or three years, the fund has actually sort of gone down in value, all totally to do with with macro reasons. And so I think that then brings me on to my second point is that, you know, as I referred to earlier, I really believe that we are close to that maximum point of pessimism. You know, the the sentiment to our space, I haven't known it to be so weak since the financial crisis. And I think that that combined with the fact that from an operational perspective, these companies are seeing strong demand, they've got strong balance sheets, that leads us to being very optimistic over the next 12 to 15 months regarding the Global Cities Fund. Tom, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much for your time and insights today. Thanks, Condi. Thanks for having me. To our listeners, thanks very much for tuning in. And should you need anything, please feel free to reach out to your local representative. And we're looking forward to bringing you more great content next month. Take care and goodbye. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. The forecasts included are not guaranteed. They are provided only as at the date of issue and should not be relied upon. Our forecasts are based on our own assumptions which may change. We accept no responsibility for any errors of fact or opinion and assume no obligation to provide you with any changes to our assumptions or forecasts. Forecasts and assumptions may be affected by external economic or other factors. 
Disclosures and risk factors. Collective investment schemes are generally medium to long-term investments. The value of participatory interest or the investments may go down as well as up. Past performance is not necessarily a guide to future performance. Collective investment schemes are traded at ruling prices and can engage in borrowing and script lending. A schedule of fees and charges and maximum commissions is available on request from the manager. The manager does not provide any guarantee either with respect to the capital or the return of a portfolio. The manager has a right to close the portfolio to new investors in order to manage it more efficiently in accordance with its mandate.